This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. How you doing? It's Friday, for heaven's sakes. This is the day. The, in preparation of the Memorial Day weekend, holy cow, it's time to get out, honor those that have served the country. we got a great show for you today. Uh, our first hour, we're going to be working uh, with an expert, Douglas Van Prate, I believe is his name, and he's going to teach us about how your feelings tend to drive your purchases much more than the facts. What you feel about something really is going to be a bigger uh, impact on it than, than, than the actual facts. Movement uh, and motivation. We'll be talking about that. Also, man, we've got a great uh, a friend and guest of the show. Stan Ellsworth will be joining us. He is the Harley-riding ex-NFL football player host of the, of the show on BYU TV, American Ride. He's also a, a scholar, a historical um, a history teacher, actually, as well. He's going to be talking about uh, Memorial Day and what we what we need to remember, what uh, the sacrifices that have happened in this country for all of us. So we'll be talking to him and hopefully getting you in the mood, the right spirit for Memorial Day. Just lots of great stuff coming up on the show. But of course, before we, we go too far, we we have to do the headlines. As what Terry, what why are you playing with the brain like that? I we have these little squishy stress uh, brains, uh, minds from the, one of our shows here at BYU Radio, Top of Mind, Little Brain. And you're just looking at this brain like it's real. They're in here every day. I know. You throw them around. We, we don't leave our Matt Townsend no. cell phone holders in here. No, we don't. Ours are very valuable. We don't just throw them around but and let people I, I squeeze I think these are a lot more fun. You do? Yeah, I could sit here and just like just squeeze it as we do the show and <laughs> get out my... My my subliminal aggravation is that what you're, you're you're just like working. Is that what you were doing? Because you were looking at it like you were perplexed. Well, I just I found it interesting that the name of the show is Top of Mind. Yeah, and the logo is on the top of the brain, mm-hmm. so it is in fact Top, top of, of Mind. It should be Top of Brain. Yeah. Hey, um, interesting news today. Holy cow! They caught that guy in Washington, Washington D.C. That was the hunt of the century. Well, the hunt of the month. The last two days. But it was a huge story. So they got him. There Boom. was family. They were all killed. Yep. There Four was a extortion thing, extortion plot, $40,000 involved. The uh, house was set on fire. Uh, and they caught him because they ordered a pizza. DNA off the old crust. the crust from the pizza was not burnt in the fire. Or the water, destroyed by the water, or just stepped on by firefighters, or and and it's amazing. We're able to catch him, or, or find that he was the guy that way, and they were able to catch him later on at a, a motel in Maryland, I believe. But don't you love the fact that you can find a pizza crust, get some DNA off it? The guy happened to have his DNA in the system, bada boom, bada bing, we find him a few hours later. Yeah. It's amazing. There's a lot of things that needed to line up for that to happen. That's cool. But that's... Uh, a positive note out of that horrible story there. Um, on the day that ISIS captured Iraq's 10th largest city, President Obama said he was, it was a tactical setback. Uh, um, you know. Palmyra fell. This is and weird. Soon, uh, well, before that, Ramadi. So. Yeah, he's in trouble because Obama's now, and then he goes to the graduation um, at the Coast Guard graduation and talks about 
that the environment is the one of the greatest threats to our now I get it. Yeah. I get it. Except ISIS. ISIS. <laughs> and he's, and he's, we're losing. We're getting talking schooled. About storms and yeah. things of that nature and ISIS yeah. is doing this. And then you hear press like, yeah, but we we took over this I don't know. It's just we don't need PR on our war. We just need movement. Uh, Obama spoke to uh, The Atlantic. He did a wide-ranging interview with them about the Middle East. Uh, he, in this and Palmyrans in Syria fell the next day after the interview. Obama explained that Ramadi had been vulnerable for a very long time, primarily because these are not the Iraqi security forces that we have trained or reinforced as Republican criticism. As for Republican criticism, Obama said the party still hasn't learned the lesson of invading Iraq. If the Iraqis themselves are not willing to be capable of arrive to arrive at the political accommodations necessary to govern, if they are not willing to fight for the security of their own country, we cannot do that for them. Right. Except he still will not put troops on in there on the ground. He wants to use people in the area to fight this battle. But see, here's the dilemma, because we don't necessarily even need I don't even know that we need warriors to go in and fire guns. We need somebody. We're, we're supposedly using resources like airplanes to drop bombs. Yes. But we have no one on the ground telling them where to drop the bomb. So apparently 75 percent of the planes come back without ever having dropped a bomb. You need somebody there leading and directing and bringing in the resources so they're used appropriately. It doesn't need to be a guy firing a gun. Holy! And training. Somebody's got to train these Iraqis to stay put, to hold their ground. Yeah. It's very difficult. <sighs> very difficult. Construction workers uncovered an unexpected uh, threat near London's Wembley Stadium mm. just ahead of this weekend's soccer playoffs. An unexploded World War II bomb that authorities <laughs> say continues to pose a threat. Yeah. They're not working. To, they're they're working to defuse the explosive, which has a 650 foot blast radius. Nearby businesses include the studios for the recording of Britain's Got Talent, which is a huge really? TV show over there. Uh, the, those have all been evacuated. Officials put the blast wall around the device in case something goes wrong. They say they hope to have it taken care of ahead of the weekend. So was this just some bomb in some yard? What? How did this? This happens when they in construction proje- projects around it. England because of all the bombing that yeah. happened in Germany. They have government agencies built on the fact that they go around and find unexploded ordnance from wow. World War II. We dropped so many bombs yeah. on Germany; they're still finding them to this day. And they're just in neighborhoods. They're you know you, you build it's a new amazing. housing development. Yeah, it's crazy. Hey, mom, look what I found. Uh, emails obtained by the New York Times show that Hillary Clinton kept sensitive but unclassified information in her personal email account, including information about the location of officials located in Libya. According to the Times, oh, one such email from a year and a half before the 2012 Benghazi attack gave away the location of Ambassador Christopher Stevens as he considered leaving the city. He, of course, died yeah. in the Benghazi attack. Other emails laid with uh, private correspondence, while yet others show that Clinton was uh, circulating Benghazi narratives from a friend that contracted the uh, the official White House line. The uh, State Department is set to release more Benghazi-linked emails in the coming days. Hmm. So they're showing that there was seemed to be a problem with the uh, her emails. They weren't quite as secure, secure as she said. she said. Grand jury indicted all six officers charged in the case of Freddie Gray in Baltimore, who died of injuries he suffered in police custody, allowing the state's attorney to press ahead with the most serious charges, despite criticism that she was part of an overzealous prosecution. The indictments announced Thursday were similar to the charges 
that they announced earlier three weeks ago, the most serious charge for each officer ranging from second degree depraved heart murder to assault. Uh, though some of the lesser offenses had also been hmm. changed. They, they've adjusted things depending on what the laws are and what they, they feel they can uh, achieve in court. But, yeah. uh, yeah, those six officers now indicted by grand jury. It's, another, it's one thing to indict them. It's another thing to prove that they all intended to do that harm. I mean, it, it's, it's going to frustrate people somewhere down the line, it seems like. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about guns being misplaced by Capitol Police. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, it's hard to keep your gun. One member of uh, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's detail stuffed a Glock revolver into a holder containing toilet seat covers. Mm-hmm. There's a picture of this. The gun's just like Well, yeah, sticking you're going out. to the restroom. You don't want somewhere. the gun to pull. Yeah. Speaker John Boehner's security detail uh, left it, uh, his gun on the toilet, behind the toilet, and a, <laughs> and a child found it. Oh, so geez. that was an issue. And another, a third officer uh, left his weapon in a, re- a public restroom just in the Capitol. So anybody could have found that one. So because of that, the U.S. Capitol Police Chief Kim, Kim Dine told the House Administrative Committee Wednesday that his officers are receiving, as a lot of newspapers have called it, potty training, uh, <laughs> what to do with their weapons when they use the restroom. Everyone needs to be retrained, apparently. Why don't they just not use the restroom? That's what Kim Il-jong... Part, part of the testimony was we're all human we need to use the restroom, okay. so we need to find a way to make this work. It was ridiculous <laughs> testimony because what, of this. They situation. need what they need is shoulder harnesses. Well, that would be. Then it's not on their belt. Then they yeah. don't have to take it off. Then I mean, I don't have to solve well, all the problems in the yeah. world, but get the guy. Unless a they're a, a uniformed officer, and then yeah, then you gotta you gotta wear the uniform. The whole idea of the shoulder harness is that you have a jacket <laughs> on, you can conceal it. Uh, there, right now, it's if you're a first time offender, will be suspended five days. Under current policy for leaving a weapon unattended, they're considering toughening that penalty to 30 days or even termination for a first offense. Well, 30 days unpaid, you'll never forget your gun again. No. That's, you know. That's a, it's a, it's a big uh, penalty there. So. Or, you know, trying a to keep it safe. Just can... give them a tasing. <laughs> it's five tases in a day. Just take them out back? You will never forget your gun again. Oh, man. Well, at least they're working on it. Solving problems. Hey, folks, on the show, you know, we like to give you the tools you need to have a healthier life. But we're going to teach Motivation 101 when we come back. But we've got the author of the book, Unconscious Branding, coming up. Uh, Douglas Van Prate will be joining us. He's got some great insight into what actually motivates people to make purchases. And you would think it's just the facts, right? Just the facts, ma'am. But you know what? It's not. A lot of times it's emotion and he's going to talk to us about how feelings tend to beat the facts when it comes right down to it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with every new Apple product, consumers will stand in line for hours for a chance at the newest phone, iPhone, iPad, etc. But why? Do we really understand or even care about the changes to that phone? Is it really all about, uh, you know, those new changes, all the new, in, you know, tools on the phone? 
or is it more an emotional connection? What is it that makes us so loyal to brands? Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today with Douglas Van Praet, a marketing and brand strategist. He's a consultant and author uh, of the book Unconscious Branding, How Neuroscience Can Empower and Inspire Marketing. He's here to help us understand what truly motivates us in our purchases and if we are in control of our brand choices. Douglas Van Praet, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Great to have you on the show. I mean, I've always felt that there's something that we don't understand in the marketing world. It's it's so much more about the feelings and the emotion, isn't it, than really the, the actual assets or qualities of what we're buying. Absolutely, Matt. What we're learning is that we make decisions mostly based on emotional association way more than rational analysis. And a lot of these associations are what we call implicit memory, which is non-declarative. It means we simply can't declare it. It's just a feeling we have in the body. It's the sum total of all our impressions about a brand that no longer are conscious but manifest itself as feelings. So it's it's just a it's just your gut. Yeah, absolutely. We we have a, somewhat of a delusion that you know we live in in terms of conscious control, but if you can envision your mind as an iceberg, as Freud once conceived, the vast majority of our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs lie below the threshold of our own awareness. And in truth, most of what we do, we do unconsciously and then rationalize it after the fact. So we make these decisions, and we think we know why we did that, and we give ourselves a story, but that would only be a story. It wouldn't be the actual facts. That's so true. I mean, and that's really when I think about it. That's true with um, our our choices politically. It's just it's a feeling, and our choices about country. It's really, I guess, it's in everything that we are connected to, and and brands are yeah. one of those things. Yeah, as, as scientists have said, it we're we're feeling creatures that think, not thinking creatures that feel, which means that. We are always reacting um, downstream to our emotions, and emotions are like the weather. You know, it's part of our nature, and it's shaped by our environment. We don't choose our emotion. They're automatic action programs that happen, and we can only respond consciously after the fact. So, in a sense, we don't really have free will. We have free won't. You know, That's we, a great. We can, yeah. We, we, we can't control our feelings, but... We can all we can try to control them, but we could also fall short in terms of stopping in time. <laughs> it's such a great line, but free won't. It's um, so so really. If if we're not careful, uh, I'm assuming because this is part of I know what you do for a living. You go work with companies and and marketers to to basically enlighten them as to what how humans can be influenced, basically. And exactly. So talk talk to us about that because we, we've all been moved by a commercial or you know interested or it, it, you know it piqued our interest to go drive that car or whatever. Talk to us about um, and talk to us about your new book too, unconscious branding. Sure. In my role as as a brand strategist, I've been a a market researcher and a brand strategist for most of my career. Worked at major ad agencies and work for major companies, helping them advertise their products. And what 
people usually do is you know, they talk to consumers and focus groups and surveys and they ask them questions and then they you know, make recommendations based upon those questions. But I've always you know, found that there's a, there's a hidden story that we're not getting at, and that's why I delved into the, the neurosciences. You know, what people say they do is not always what they actually do. Um, so my role is to sort of connect people with brands and really get to the bottom line because if you think about it, 95% of our decisions are made unconsciously and just so happens 95% of new product launches fail. Hmm. You know, Houston, we have a problem. Here. Right. And the, the problem is we're wasting our money and it's, it's, um, it's really important to get to the root causes of what moves us and, you know, the word move and emotion, you know, they share the same Latin root mobere, you know, it's, it, these are automatic motion action programs and we need to get to the, the, the roots of our feelings. So instead of just simply telling people the facts, we need to embed our messages in things like stories, metaphors, symbols, art, music, poetry, you know, these are the things that stir our emotions and move us at a deep intuitive level. And, you know, it's not to say that facts are not important. Absolutely could be important. There's no real divide between our emotions and our rationality. They're inextricably linked. So if you have a rational proof point, that's truly remarkable, but it's rarely the case because a lot of these products are very similar. If you do do something remarkable, absolutely say that because rational facts can excite your emotional sensibilities if it's if it's a tremendously important fact. But more often than not, we're in the business of you know telling stories and, and, and embedding these stories in arts and metaphors and music and things like that because those are the things that that move people. And it's true not just for brands; it's true for politics; it's true for everything in life even teaching your uh your children using metaphors and stories might be a, a more motivating and may, maybe more memorable and impactful uh, approach I, I loved your article in psychology today uh called why feelings will always be facts in there you talk about how three companies like prudential uh has a has a metaphor they use get a piece of the rock allstate offers help uh to help you avoid um, the troublemaker mayhem, that guy that keeps ruining everything, and Geico is is uh, uses the phrase "It's so easy a caveman can do it." Is that what you mean by metaphor? Like, get a piece of the rock. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's what I want. When times are tough, I want to be able to hang on to the rock. Exactly, metaphors prevail for a good reason, and I think you know artists and ad people have always done this intuitively and the, the campaigns that stick out in our minds are often the metaphors and the stories because that's kind of how we remember things. So it shouldn't be surprising to see the prevalence. What I found fascinating in the article is that science is finally catching up to the artists. And mm. Freud himself said a long time ago, poets get there first because they do it intuitively. They can't explain it. They yeah. know it. They just don't know it on a conscious level. But now science is catching up, and that's the, the whole point about my book, is neuroscience 
is catching up to art. It's explaining art, but it's doing it after the fact, much like our decision-making process. If we lead with emotions and we follow with rational, rationalization, we have to pay attention to our intuitions because they could be tipped into things that are very powerful and very intelligent. They could also be uh, very wrong. Right. You know, we can create, create meaning where there is no meaning because this is an associative link. It's, uh, and, it's, you know, they, they say correlation is not causation. Yeah. You know, so we have to be careful, but we also have this wisdom. And, you know, I think the Stanford study was, was a, a great uh, indication of finally validating what a lot of people um, felt intuitively. You know, they, they designed a study and they were just trying to test behavior and actions. You know, the things that people want to know, especially businesses when they're advertising their products. And they controlled one variable, and it was how they talked about uh, controlling town and uh, controlling crime in a fictitious town. So they had these participants come in, and they were describing a problem and what the, the action should be to address the problem. And it was rising crime rates, and there was a lot of facts and figures, but the one variation they had was describing it as a beast, Mm. or as a virus, you know, and the facts, you know, despite the facts, it was the metaphors, the the one single word that changed how they suggested the actions to address the problems in that fictitious city. And in the case of describing it as a beast, they were much more likely to recommend law enforcement when they described it as a virus. They were much more likely to suggest social reform, like yeah, in school, a movement. the yeah. performance at schools and things like that. So a vast difference in the action programs that were recommended based on a single word, which is a metaphor. That's so interesting, too, because the data is the same. Crime, the numbers are the same, but if you describe the numbers as a beast— we're going to do one thing. If you describe the numbers as a virus, of the crime was like a virus, we're going to do something else, which almost tells us, when you think about it, Douglas, that the role of the leader becomes really the role of the storyteller and the framer of the, posi- of the situation, and you're going to create different movements just based on your verbiage. Exactly. You know, it's, it's the emotional coloring, not the literal facts, because the majority of our brain works by, you know, intuitive emotional yeah. association. And, and, and I think, you know, this is not, this is just telling people how, how it really works. And, and I think the point of what I'm doing actually is, and I write for psychology today, I write for fast company. I want to level the playing field on both sides mm-hmm. because if everyone, you know, having a 95% failure rates in new products is not good for anyone asking people things they want and, and, and executing products against things that don't fit their sensibilities because they don't really know is, is not good for either, either right. camp. So if you level the playing field in the spirit of competition, you improve products because people are, are, are equally empowered. We just need to understand how this, how this process really works. And once the thing about this, which is, is great, is once you have conscious awareness of the hidden forces that influence you, you make better decisions. You bet. I love it. Uh, we're talking again with Douglas Van Prate, author of the book Unconscious Branding. If you go to the website, unconsciousbranding.com, you can find out a lot about him, his speaking, and his book. 
We're going to take a break, come back, and continue the discussion with Douglas. I want to find out uh, what, what else we need to know just as a consumer, uh, you know, so we know how people are trying to move us and motivate us, but also maybe even as a parent, as a husband, as, a, as just a, a leader in my own company, in my own neighborhood, how I can uh, maybe move people a little bit more effectively. Motivation 101, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Douglas Van Prate. He's the author of the book Unconscious Branding. Uh, he's also a, uh, a contributor to Psychology Today and Fast Company, a writer there as well. He's a keynote speaker, but has a, a, a ton of experience and expertise in branding. Um, really, what I was so impressed with is we're always being marketed to. And I think a lot of times we don't know what they're doing that makes us so willing to purchase. And what I love about uh, Douglas's work is, in reality, we he had a great quote earlier, we are feeling creatures that think, not thinking creatures that feel. So if a, if a marketer can understand how humans feel and how to motivate those feelings, it's going to be 10 times more valuable than just getting us to think. So, and it's that subtle, it's just that subtle intuitive uh, of track that a, a really good motivator knows how to kind of feel and work. And I'm trying to see if Douglas can't teach us what that really is and how we can access that more in our own kids, in our own lives, and understand how people move us. So Douglas Van Prate, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Great to be here, Matt. Teach us some more about this. I mean... We we know when we are moving somebody. I mean, I guess some it's just an art, isn't it? It's just I can sense what moves you, but I may not be able to describe it. Uh, teach us some more. What is it that actually moves the emotions of another human? Well, I've actually in my book I break it down into a seven step framework, and you know the mind is not a linear process, but it's just a set of tools to help understand how the mind works and how behavior change works. And this is something I, I didn't invent. I, I simply codified and I did it based on actually behavior change therapy, not, not mm. marketing. I, I worked with people to try to improve their lives because that's what brands are really supposed to do. Uh, and I'm trying to shift this frame from trying to sell the people to try and to help improve change their lives. lives. I love that. So there is a seven-step framework for how it works, and it can work the same thing if you're trying to diet or, you know, quit smoking, or if you're trying to sell people cigarettes. Right. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. It's the it's the same process, and it's it's all based and rooted in emotions. And the first step is to interrupt the pattern, and the, the important thing about brands or anything. Everything in life is a learned behavior. And when your teacher told you to pay attention, she was right. The best way to learn is by 
galvanizing our conscious focus. And when you do something different, novel, and engaging, you're forced to pay attention to it because your mind's a prediction machine. It only notices what defies your prediction. If you're Mm. driving to work, you only notice the car in front of you when it hits the brakes. So when you interrupt the pattern, when you do something different, you've got my attention. So you'll notice that novelty is a big part of advertising. That's it. That's why they change billboards so often. And that's why you have to kind of keep rotating the imagery. Exactly. And while we make decisions unconsciously, we have to remember the process for branding is largely starts as a a conscious process. And then, you know, after you've learned it, then it becomes more intuitive, unconscious. Hmm. But the the process starts with the, the, the emotion of surprise. And again, I, I said, we don't choose our emotions. They simply happen. So when you're surprised by something, your body forces you to pay attention to it. So you, you pay attention, and that was step, step one. Step number two is to build comfort. You know, the irony of the human mind is it's, it's paradoxical. We're attracted to what's different, but we move towards the familiar. Mm. You know, the number one drive in human behavior is, is homeostasis. We seek the same stable state in our environments and our biology. So the next step is to, to be comfortable with something. And in the case of advertising, we want to, you know, make sure that they, they identify with the brand and, and, and they're, they're receptive to the message. If you're trying to change your behavior, sometimes you need to get out of your comfort zone. You know, you have to make the uncomfortable comfortable through, through doing things like jogging after a while it's, it becomes natural you know yeah. you get out of your comfort zone but but the, the, the next step we don't have to go through all, all seven of them is to lead the imagination i think that's where storytelling really comes in and what's what's amazing about storytelling is narrative imagination is is the fundamental instrument of thought you know, we remember stories better because neuroscientists tells us that's how we remember. We, we literally, you know, process that information and remember it. And it's been part of our, our you know, legacy since hunter-gatherer days when we sat around the fires and yeah. told stories to, sh- to share information. So, well, and that's exciting. That's at- the kid in us, right? So if you, could, if you can get my imagination going and I feel comfortable with you um, – You've you've you're, you've moved me. You've now kind of re-energized the the kid, the energy. Exactly, exactly. And and you touched upon a good point. You can take care of step two and step three. Build comfort and lead the imagination. One fell swoop. I use the example of one of the most lauded advertising campaigns in modern advertising history is Nike's Just Do It. Yeah. And, and the beauty of Nike's just do it is it's, it's artfully vague. It's a provocative statement. They don't say, get off your butt and go jogging. Yeah. You know, they say, just, just do, do it. it. <laughs> and, when, and when you say just do it, what, what you're doing is you're inviting them to go inside their own mind, give it their own meaning. And when you, when you go inside your own mind and give it your own meaning, that's the difference between internal motivation and external manipulation. Hmm. So, you know, you, you, you create these stories that lead their imagination, and oftentimes people say the book is better than the movie. Well, what's the difference? In the, in the, when you read the book, you give it your own characters, you give it your own meaning, yeah. and you, you buy into it. And this is not just 
about advertising, this could be anything. Look at the civil rights movement and yeah. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. You See, know, he changed such the a vision, yeah. of an entire nation. And he did it by inviting people to share in his dream. And, you know, this is how people change. This is people how people are motivated. And in the case of the civil rights movement, just think how powerful that that one speech was in Washington that forever changed the sensibilities of this nation for the better. Well, and that I love that, too, because it's also less is more. So if you're playing with the imagination, like I have a dream, and then he only he went on to have whatever, a 10-minute speech about it. But um, but he didn't he didn't tell us every possible version of all of the dreams. So sometimes we, as parents or people, we might over talk that we actually destroy the imagination. We might over prescribe and overdo it instead of just leaving it with you know just do it. Yeah, that that is a very important point, and this is something that the Nobel laureate behavior and behavioral economist. Uh, economist um, Daniel Kahneman says in his book, Thinking Fast, I'm Thinking Slow, which I think is a great book because it credentializes this whole area of unconscious decision-making. He speaks to the fact that it's not the um, completeness of the story, it's the coherence of the story. Mm. So you're better off telling a, instead of telling the tedious tale, tell the simple story. Tell them a small story and repeat it often because if the, it's the coherence that moves us, if there's something about a storyline, and it's a very long one, something small that feels askew, our unconscious mind, you know, in fear kind of steps back and says, ah, something doesn't feel right here. Right. But if it's a simple story and it's a cohesive story and it makes sense and you repeat it and all the, the facts and the details and the feelings align, then people are moved by it. Yeah. It's so interesting, Douglas, that, I mean, all of this seems like just great. It's teaching 101, but it's it's also some of the great books. It's the Bible. It's You, you see people like Mandela and people, uh, Gandhi, that were able to kind of just do it naturally. So really right. what you're doing is you're just describing a process for a very natural form of motivating others, and, and yet it's so intuitive, and yet... Some of us so don't get it. Well, and you, you touch upon something extremely important, is how do you infuse this kind of thinking, this kind of structure into our education system? Because if you think about it, we train people to almost not like to learn because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a focus on, and again, it's part of our, it's not our fault, it's part of our conscious delusion. We, we apply so much importance to the logic and, and facts, but what happens is we're, we're missing the feeling and the empathy that really drives things. I think we need to introduce that uh, at, a, at an education level because it's it's extremely important early on to understand these processes. You bet. You bet. Hey, we have a few more minutes, but teach us, what else do we need You know, to know? How, how do we, uh, I guess, how do we know it's working? How do we know when we see the movement and how do we, I guess, learn and keep learning and improving? Because this really is a relationship that you're talking about, whether it's with your brand, whether it's with your followers, whether it's with your kids or your family. 
it seems like it's more of a it's a whole it's a process of me doing a lot of these steps you're talking about, but then actually being influenced by their responses to what I'm doing. Right, right. And then well, learning. You know, yeah. You, I mean, you know, you're working when you see when you see behavior change. You know that that because if most of what we do, we do unconsciously. If what you're what you're doing is is working, you'll you'll see the shift in behavior. But if if you want to know what's working as you're simply talking to someone, pay attention to the feelings, not the words. You know, we often say things that don't align with how we're feeling, and we do it because we're putting a conscious filter on things. But one thing I do is often talk to people in in focus group settings, and focus groups are are in many ways a a really bad place to try to get to the truth because there's a two-way mirror behind you and there's cameras and, and, and microphones, but you can look into people's eyes as you're asking the questions as opposed to these large-scale surveys. And you can develop sort of a feeling of understanding where they're coming from emotionally. There's fascinating stuff you can learn from a guy named Paul Ekman who, who, who has you know, codified micro-expressions of emotions, which, which can make you much more of an empathetic hmm. person. We need to become more empathetic humans. We need to be in, more in tune to what's going on on a feeling level. And that comes from the, the skilled art of observation. Yeah, pay attention, huh? And watch. Exactly. Because it, 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 all the information's there, and we are intuitive enough to pick it up. I mean, you know, we, we are, we've survived by being able to pay attention to it. But it's almost like we're so distracted today, and we just always joke about how we have an eight-second, nine-second attention span. We may not be actually paying attention to the people, especially the people that we think we know. If you think you know somebody, you may have already set yourself up to fail. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Empathy is a, a very in- interesting and complex process that involves both feeling and rationality. But we are programmed to uh, to feel what others feel. But you're right. When your focus is not on them and something else, you lose that connection. Yeah. It really, and you, by the way, you have another article on empathy. Empathy is not a choice if they go to psychology today. As we wrap this up, Douglas, give us what's the one thing that we really want to pay attention to when it comes to emotion and feelings and motivation of others. Well, we we just need to realize its importance, and you know, we are emoting every second of every day. It's, there's no artificial divide between our rationality and our thoughts. Many people think emotions hinder decisions. They're actually the foundation on which they're made. So what, what we need to know is the interplay between our rational minds and our, and our unconscious emotional minds. And the more we're aware of our intuitions and our emotions, the better decisions we make. So, I, I, you know, I think it's it's as you said it's about awareness it's about paying attention it's about learning how how life really works because most of the business of life happens unconsciously through our emotions and i think the beauty of all of this is we can change the, this process through conscious awareness and we can actually evolve and and become better at we do the more we can expose the the depths of the iceberg below and i think that's that's really the 
the goal here is to evolve consciously to understand these processes and, and to hopefully use them for good and not not for evil yeah yeah the minute you're using it for evil again we should also be able to detect that uh, that, that's what I think is, exactly. don't you think? That's what's powerful about being in tune with it. Well, we appreciate what you're doing. Da, uh, Douglas Van Prate, go check out his website, Unconscious Branding. Really, it's just such an eye-opener for any business owner, but also just moms and dads know know how you're being marketed to. And, um, and start being a conscious person. Holy cow. What if we were actually present? And understood a little bit more who we are, uh, especially down deep when it comes to the emotions. We're going to take a break, my friends. Come back, do a little bit of the Coach's Corner. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, I wanted to take a minute uh, to just talk about, uh, you know, a review of of our of emotion, right? You you cannot not communicate. That's Paul Watzlick. Paul Watzlick once said, "One cannot not communicate." As human beings, we are born, bred, created, designed to understand others, to pay attention to others. The problem is. We don't. And we live in a world with so much interruption, with so much distraction, that we probably are missing really important signs. Many times when I coach and work with people, um, especially in relationships, one of the um, one of the partners will come and, and just tell me that there's just, I don't know, my husband's just not in. He's just not in. And the husband's like, of course I'm in. I come home every night. And but the amazing thing is how many times their that their partners right there's they are right that they're not in but we won't own it we won't talk about it we're afraid to quite honestly and so when you think about um like like Douglas was talking about micro expressions or when you think about emotions folks we're pretty darn accurate and um, if we could just start using emotions and feelings and recognizing those signs, it will lead you to more understanding and more information. In my world, I call them vital signs, okay? So there's three signs I look for. They're all kind of emotional cues that tell me that there's a deeper issue. And anytime I see these three signs, I know that I need to kind of shut up and I need to start listening more and and get more down to this issue. The three signs I look for are negative emotion. Anytime I see negative emotion, and remember, everybody's going to express negative emotion differently, but that might be anger, frustration, sadness, um, even embarrassment, shame, guilt. So when I see that, so think of the people around you. How does your husband, how does your spouse, how do they express negative emotion. Everybody does it differently. Some will blow up. Some will have an outburst. Some will go quiet. Some will just disappear. Some will go sit in front of the TV. Some will drink. Some will do all of their different escape techniques, right? Negative emotion is one of the vital signs. Another sign is understanding. Is the conversation you're having getting more clear, more clarity, or is it getting more confusing? 
If your conversation is getting more and more confusing, more and more distorted, if you notice the person you're talking to is hiding stuff, they're not coming out with information, then that should tell you something. So if the conversation's getting confusing and emotion is going up, we know we have an issue. So quit talking and start understanding. And the last thing I look for is trust. Is trust there? Do you see that the person is open to you? Are they exposing and being vulnerable a little bit more emotionally with you? Are they letting you know without you having to drag it out of them? Are they willingly opening up? You know, are they obviously closer to you? Are they connected to you? If you see that they're distancing, if you see that that they're pulling away, those are signs that they don't trust you. So negative emotion, understanding, and trust, it's an acronym that spells nuts. So when someone's going nuts on you, shut up. Quit pushing it. And instead, recognize there's an issue that we need to go deeper on and go try to figure out what that issue is. When you see it, folks, you got to trust it. I call that vital signs because back in the day when I was a college student, I was an, uh, an EMT on an ambulance. And, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. I had a, I got to pull up in an ambulance making all of this noise, and you'd get to the scene, but I didn't know much. I knew basic life support and, I mean, even to some advanced life support, and I knew how to stabilize people and get them to a hospital. But the first thing we would always do on the scene is we would check vital signs. And we wouldn't even treat them until we had checked the vitals because the vitals are the things that tell us how to treat them. So can I just suggest to all of us out there in listener land, if you want more power with people, be checking the vitals. Check their emotion, negative emotion, understanding, and trust. If it's not there, then you got to try harder or try different. And that's what I would do as an EMT. I would check the vitals, then I would treat, and then right after I treated, I would check the vitals. Then I would treat, then I would check the vitals, and I would treat. And that's pretty much the pattern of medicine to create a healthier result. The same is true in your emotional health. Check the vital signs of your partner. Are they, is there negative emotion? Is there understanding issues? Is there trust issues? And then treat. And then go back and see if the, if the emotion improves, if the understanding improves, if the trust improves. You're a human being, but you're not, you're a feeling being. Remember, that's one of the great lessons I just learned from Douglas Van Praet. You're a human uh, being, but you're a feeling being first and a thinking being second. So just understand that. First we feel, then we think. A lot of us try to believe we're thinking beings, then we feel. Interesting, interesting stuff. Basic, basic 101. Look for the negative emotion. Look for the understanding. Look for the trust. When it's not there, adjust. Basics 101. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour talking about Memorial Day with a great historian here from uh, BYU Broadcasting. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. So good to have you along. Remember, this is a show where we try to give you the tools to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Yeah, Memorial Day weekend is coming up, and we've got to honor 
those that have made your life as great as it could be. Holy cow, you are so blessed to be where you are, to live uh, here in the United States. So who better to teach us than our our guest that will be coming up? Stan Ellsworth will be joining us. He is the host of the popular history show American Ride. If you've seen uh, any BYU TV, you've seen the guy on the Harley with the big beard and the burly voice. He's a great uh, friend of the show. He's been on two or three times. Love the guy, and he's here to teach us. He's actually on the phone to teach us about American history and some things we need to make sure we remember, especially at Memorial Day, for heaven's sake. So we'll be talking to him a little bit later, but uh, you know, there's some other things going on in the world that probably uh, ought to be noticed as well. Terry, what's happening in the news? Over the last few weeks, people have been trying to get Jeb Bush to um, answer questions about his brother's presidency. Yeah. He hasn't handled those questions well. No, those have been hard. He's tried to play this line of uh, distancing himself while from his brother while embra- embracing his brother at the same time, mm-hmm. which if you can imagine, is probably kind of a difficult a thing to hard accomplish. Game. Only a few days after saying he wouldn't go out of my way to point out what he saw as mistakes made by his brother, Jeb Bush did just that on Thursday, criticizing former President George W. Bush, his record on the federal budget. So I think Washington, during my brother's time, Republicans spent too much money. I think he could have used the veto power more. Bush said towards the end of a two-day campaign swing through New Hampshire, he goes, he could have brought budget discipline to Washington, D.C., there you go. So he criticized his brother. That's great. He's spreading his wings. He's going to be his own man. Well, I mean, if everyone else is no. going to criticize Bush, Bush may as well criticize Bush. Jump on the train. Well, I bet you George W. Bush knows that he understands. you got to beat me down if you're going to be president. You have to. But you know. it's interesting. Isn't it funny? Hillary won't talk, and, and Jeb's maybe talking too much. Maybe Jeb yeah. needs to take some lessons from Hillary. Hillary needs to take some lessons from Jeb. He hasn't even declared yet. I know. These, by the way, are the two. These are the two heir apparents. These are the ones that these are the royals that everyone talks about. Our royal families. Yes. So unfortunate. A new poll from the Pew Research Center shows that once again that disliking Congress has become an increasingly widespread and bipartisan hobby. Everybody hates Congress. Only 23% of poll respondents agreed that congressional Republicans are, quote, keeping the promises they made during last fall's campaign. What percent says that? 23%. <laughs> After the first few months of 2011's GOP Congress, 33% of respondents said lawmakers were keeping their campaign promises. That number was 40% for Democrats in 07 and a whopping 59% for the GOP in 95. So huh. it just gets worse. Yeah. 41% of Republicans today approve of the Republican-led Congress. Okay. 41%. Which compares to 60% in 2011. Huh. So it's... Yeah. yeah. Increasingly a bipartisan hobby. Always is. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, severe mental illness is falling in American children. A surprising new study has found. Researchers analyzed 54,000 children ages 6 to 17 by asking parents how much of a problem their kids have with things like feeling unhappy or sad or getting along with other kids. Children with high scores on this so-called impairment scale are defined as severely impaired. There has been a 16% decrease in severely impaired children from 1996 to 2012. Excellent. What do they attribute that to? Fracking. 
fracking. It's always about fracking in Kidding. the Midwest. Somebody just accused me of something out in the, in the newsroom, and I said it was because of yeah. fracking. When in doubt, blame it on fracking. Everything's about fracking. The finding is robust and real That's and great. challenges the prevailing stereotype that young people are somehow more vulnerable to mental problems. By contrast, government surveys have shown that increasing prevalence of disorders like ADD and autism yeah. They said the study didn't investigate why mental illness has apparently fallen so dramatically, okay, so we don't just know why. that it has. Well, that's fantastic, except then uh, others are going up, ADD diagnoses uh, um, and, and uh, what is it, autism. Isn't that, that's great. That's actually incredibly wonderful news. We need to have someone on the show about that because we always think it's, everything's getting worse. Yes. And those darn rock and roll music. Oh, no, that was back in the 70s. And that darn video games, it's ruining them kids. Oh, it is. But apparently. Apparently not. Not. At the same rates. Interesting. Uh, self-driving cars. Yes. It's a, a, a thing that many companies are looking for, putting a lot of money behind, mm-hmm. pushing big names like Google are looking at it. I know BMW had a self-driving car they used yeah. last year that, that made some news. There's the self-driving truck. Yep. That we were looking at the semi truck Uber, uh huh. The uh, the boy Uber self driving cars. An Uber self driving car what for a you, car service. What if you just sent a car? They have poached over fifty people from the Carnegie Mellon University's robotics center in Pittsburgh, and their efforts to develop self driving technology. At first, it was only a few individuals, mostly software developers. Yeah. Then it became the entire an entire team, and eventually an entire group. And then the center's director was poached. They all moved across a parking lot to a warehouse and started working, and now they're moving like, down the down the street a little bit from this Carnegie uh, Research Center to a brand new fifty three thousand square foot facility. Uber is Uber's trying really trying to push this direction. They're trying to put taxi drivers out of business. They are, and they're finding a lot of uh, pushback. Yeah, because the taxi cab industry is entrenched, and there's oh, sure. rules and regulations, and you know different cities are having problems with well, them coming in. So, do, does anybody really want to get picked up at an airport by an empty car and then taken somewhere? I mean, how would you? Where would you have the weird conversation with the taxi cab? I mean, driver? normally yeah. you have a cab driver. Maybe there's a little smell at times. Maybe there's you know a really interesting lunch that's in the car. I mean. I don't know. It seems like a boring trip. Are we just taking the human element out of yeah, life? we are. Which wouldn't be bad on my commute, but... Hmm. If you could print out the entire internet, how many pages would it be? Um, These are the important questions we're trying to answer. If you could print out the entire internet... The entirety of the internet. It would be one trillion billion pages. No. no. Seventy. 70 pages? 75. Oh. 80. I'm just starting low and going up. The question is what size font, what typeface? Right. It's a great point. Now, they did a study and they, they, they made like average font and typeface and all that. Okay. So more than 3 billion people are now online. Yeah. By the end of 2016, internet traffic could eclipse one zettabyte a year. Pardon? Come again? A zettabyte is about 1 trillion gigabytes. Holy Most of cow. our computers, our phones, uh-huh. use gigabytes. Yeah. Like my phone is a 16 gigabyte phone. They're saying the internet could be 1 trillion gigabytes. Wow. It, it, <laughs> excuse me. You're right. <clears throat> Going to die here. A zettabyte. In 2007, as part of a master's thesis, a Dutch web consultant developed a statistical method for tracking a number of pages indexed by major search engines. 
So what information a search engine holds. The experiment has kept tracking and used math, according to the Washington Post. We can estimate the roughly 47 billion pages are indexed on the web. 47 billion pages. 47 billion pages. They did some – in the article, they talked about some statistical numbers and crunching they did. The average website came out to about six and a half printed pages. Wow. Right? So you're looking at 47 billion total pages, web pages. Each of those web pages, if you printed it out, it would give you six and a half pieces of paper with with copy on it. Yeah. So you you multiply 47 billion by 6.5, it gives you 305 billion printed pages. Man. For the internet. Where would you put them? This, to be clear, this is an estimate. And it's like 212 million copies of War and Peace. Oh, geez. Which would end up being about 122 million tons of paper. So don't print the internet. Yeah, let's just make it well, clear. Print double sided. Right. So Save some paper. 150 billion. <laughs> I was reading this article last night. I go, wow, this is interesting, but completely useless at the same time. Yeah. Who uses a printer anymore? Well, except us. Well, we just got a notice in our email that they ran out of printer paper. <laughs> Why did I take five emails to deal I don't with? Know. I was Go like, find some paper. Don't yeah, <laughs> just quit emailing. I kept looking at my phone like something important. Oh, it's more on the printer not having paper in it. It was also <laughs> it was also low on ink yesterday. But did anyone worry about that? No, that's just a rip off. So yeah, interesting. War and Peace. Did you have you ever read War and Peace? Uh, I started it four four times. Four times. Yeah, you just I, got I through the war part. I just got through the war part. <laughs> it frustrates me. I so want the peace. I never get to it. You'll get there. You'll get there. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. Hey, Memorial Day's coming up, folks. So who better to teach us about uh, why we are so fortunate to even celebrate Memorial Day, to even have the voice of, uh, you know, radio, to be able to say what we want to say, the right to speak, the right to go to church, the freedoms that we all celebrate A great guest is going to be joining us on the phone, Stan Ellsworth. He's the host of American Ride, which is a very popular history show here on BYU-TV. We're going to be calling him, I think, from Washington, D.C., and he's going to teach us why we celebrate Memorial Day. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I think of freedom. I think of the countless men and women that have consecrated their lives to the service of this great nation. I also think about hitting the road in this great machine. Let's take a ride. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. That is Stan Ellsworth from the popular history show American Ride uh, here on BYU Broadcasting. You know, Memorial Day is coming up, folks. And as much as we love the family, you know, cookouts and get-togethers, the boating trips, all the stuff you're planning to do this weekend. Monday is a special day, and uh, we want to make sure we take time to focus on that and and understand truly uh, about our freedom and why we even celebrate Memorial Day. And I could think of no one better to do it than Stan Ellsworth. Uh, Stan, are you there, my friend? Matt, I'm here. How are you? Where Where are you today? I'm, number one, I'm good. Number two, we're in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We're actually out on the battlefield with a tour of 
uh, of, of some of the folks that help PYU TV make things go. How great is that? How perfect is this? You're calling us from Gettysburg. Uh, Stan, teach us. Why is Memorial Day so important to us? Well, I was, I was listening to your intro, and it really is like it, it's the opening of summer. Yeah. Now everybody looks at it, okay, Memorial Day is when summer starts, Labor Day is when summer ends. Memorial Day is so much more than just the holiday that ends the school year. Yeah. You know, we, we, we began Memorial Day as a day of remembrance of our war dead, of those who gave everything so that our nation could be free. Mm. And, you know, that's a, it's a special day tomorrow. We get to go to Arlington Cemetery. Wow. And, and that will be you know, a great place as well. When we spend, you know, this weekend where we are, it was all about that anyhow. Yeah. Is remembering the sacrifices that so many have made that have kept our nation in a position where self-government and liberty are our birthright. And when you think, here I am, I'm, I'm roasting my hot dogs and hamburgers my kids are out boating, having fun in the pool. You know, I'm, I'm just having the family picnic. We can do those things because so many other people gave up their today yeah. believing in our tomorrow. Mm. And so when we, when we have the opportunity, you know, we should take a moment and pause and reflect and have an attitude truly of thanksgiving for those who came before and gave us the opportunity we have and created. You've been on, Stan, you've been on so many of those battlefields uh, as you, as you've been shooting your show, American Ride, um, and you're standing in one right now. Um, Talk to us, which of the ones, which of the stories move you the most? Which of which are the stories that are maybe some of the Americans we just haven't heard or we haven't thought about maybe since history class in high school? Well, you know, on, on each battlefield, there is a special feeling if if you listen. You know, and, and I, I can say this here and be understood, I believe, is, you know, when, when you're praying, you shouldn't be doing all the talking. Yeah. Most of your prayers should be listening. And because you, you're going to get insight if you can, if you can do that. And when you walk on these sacred places where so many have given so much, if you can just be quiet and listen, you're going to hear things and you're going to feel things, and you'll get impressions that will last for your lifetime. You know, and and, and some of them might just be, hey, we were here. Yeah, we were here. This is real. And and when you stand here, suddenly you know, there's some people that come to Gettysburg Park, where we are today specifically, and look at it and go, "Wow, this is beautiful." You know, the trees are the trees, the grass is the grass, the monuments are the monuments, and they don't feel the sacrifice. They don't feel the the sadness and the pride that exist in this place or at Saratoga in New York from the revolution or yeah, from the revolution. You know, we, we don't understand if we don't take the time to stop and listen and it will weigh down on you 
you know, there's a man named Sullivan Ballou who was, a, I believe he was a major of the Union Army. And before he went to battle at first Manassas in Virginia, where he gave his life for the Union, he wrote a letter to his wife. And it's, it's worth reading. But one of the things he says in the preamble to the letter is, you know, I am perfectly willing to give my life in the cause of union to repay the debt I have to those who sacrificed so much in the revolution. You know, understanding that as Americans, we have a great birthright. We have so much. We've been given so much of bounty and, and of goodness and of liberty and of self-government and opportunity. But that there is much required of us to maintain those freedoms and to keep that ability to have the opportunity and the bounties of this land. And sometimes that is sacrifice, up to and including everything. Mm -hmm. And there has been brave men and women that have answered the call and have stood tall and have given up their lives that we could continue to enjoy the blessings of being an American. And even even if you're never called on to serve or called on to stand up and, and you know, fight the battle, to really honor those who gave all, to make Memorial Day meaningful, we need to live that American dream and be active in our government and participating in the conversation. We need to be the example. We need to reach out and do good in our neighborhood, not because, you know, somebody has a government program, heaven help us, right. but because we are American citizens, and it's what we do. It's like we don't know, it's like we don't know how to, to do it. You know, it, we, we think, we, we think our job is, I guess, just to sit back and listen to the politicians who do it, but you, like what you're saying is, we have a role. We have a responsibility. Voting, being active, having a voice, participating. I mean, and this weekend on Memorial Day, this is a chance to do something, even just celebrate somebody in the service. When you see somebody in military fatigues or whatever, say something. Thank them. I've been on airplanes where they cheer for them. No, and then that makes you feel good. It's so good. And when we have that opportunity, we should do all those things. Yeah. But it's the quiet little things that make the biggest difference. You bet. You know, and we should. We should say, thank you. Thank you for your service. But today is a day where we should, you know, like on Thanksgiving, when we have family prayer before we, you know, partake of the, of the great the turkey. You know, food. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, and, and Christmas, when we have the wonderful gifts, and we remember the, the gift of, of that, you know, Heavenly Father gave His Son. You know, but on Memorial Day, we have to remember those people who, you know, as he died to make us holy, they died to keep us free. Mm. And we should reflect upon that. And we should make our lives matter. This is the way we keep the faith with them. This is the way we, we uphold the tradition, that we uphold our heritage, that, you know, we say, I'm part of the revolution. It didn't end in 1783 when we signed the peace treaty with England. It goes on. We have a little bit of revolution every two or four years when yeah. we get to vote. And it's handed off to each succeeding generation of Americans where we get to continue the fight to uphold liberty and freedom 
know, and, and it matters. And, you know, like you said, we want to sit back and say, oh, the politicians, we are the government. We, the people, are the government. Right. We should be telling the politicians, hey, baby, sit back and listen to what I got to tell you. <laughs> you know, so you, you, are, you are the servant. You are not the master. You are the one that does, you know, and, and if, uh, oddly, one of the, yesterday we visited the Capitol building, and one of the folks that's traveling with us said, so what would you tell them if you could? I said, oh, well, that's a, you know, I, I got to be careful there. But the first thing I'd say is, remember in whose seats you sit. Those are the seats of the people. And good men and women died to make sure that those seats could exist. Yeah. That's Honor so that good. debt that you have. Honor the sacrifice that's been made. You know, but we need to do that with our actions. Yeah, I love that line that make our lives matter. That's the number one way to honor those that have sacrificed is with your life. That's right. Make your life matter for good. It's beautiful. We're talking with Stan Ellsworth, again, uh, from American Ride here on BYU TV. If you haven't seen this series, it's about 90, I don't even know how many episodes, Stan, 96 episodes or more that are rich historical reviews from a, a man on a Harley, quite honestly, but a really incredible guy with a huge heart. He might scare you when he pulls up on the Harley, but um, he's just a big teddy bear. And I've seen him coaching kids. I've seen him. He's been a school teacher for 10 years. Uh, he has a master's degree. But, man, tons of just heart and knowledge. We're going to take a break, uh, come back, get a, a lot more from Stan Ellsworth as he uh, – as he's actually calling in from uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, the park at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We'll take a break. Let's start remembering how grateful we should be and start making our lives matter. More with Stan Ellsworth after this break. This is The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. I love this God bless the committed to the red, white, and blue and the black leather. Let's take a ride. Welcome back, friends. You gotta love Stan Ellsworth. Uh, If you haven't seen the show, go to BYUtv.org I believe is the URL and look up American Ride. It's a Harley riding uh, ex-football player with a big beard and a huge heart, and he teaches American history and takes you on a tour across the country and just goes from site to site to site teaching you what you need to know, the stories you need to know. It's just fantastic. And uh, we thought when we were sitting here trying to wonder or wondering what we should be doing for Memorial Day, I always think of Stan Ellsworth because he's the great storyteller. So, Stan, uh, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Matt. It's good to be with you. Coming live from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And talk to us about, earlier you were saying we need to make our lives matter. That's the number one way to pay tribute. 
you take you you go in your show uh, American Ride. You'll go site by site, and you've been in these hallowed grounds. You've 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 told the stories there. I'm sure you have some pretty um, amazing memories and moments of. I guess reverence is probably the best way to talk about it. Where where have you been most moved, Stan, in all of your travels? You know, in, in all of our travels, it's tough to say which place have you been most moved, where have you been, you know, really most affected. Um, you know, I, I tell this story when I, when I speak. When we first shot the uh, American Ride pilot episode, we went to Valley Forge. And, uh, you know, Valley Forge, there was no battle fought except the battle to keep the Army together which might have been the toughest battle of the entire revolution. Yeah. And, uh, and when we shot the story, it was about 14 degrees, but there was no snow. And you know, when we brought the pilot back, people fell in love with it, said, yeah, let's do the show. But we need you to, to shoot some of the scenes you know, from Valley Forge again, and you got to do it with snow. <laughs> well, the next time we're out there, it's... You know, September, and in Pennsylvania in September, it doesn't snow. And so we're looking at each other saying, hey, you know, I'm not in charge of snow, are you? No. And, and you know, but I guess we know some people that know some people. Because <laughs> uh, when we pulled up at Valley Forge, it had been, you know, Indian summer back here. So it had been like 78 degrees. But the day we showed up, the temperature plummeted. And it snowed for the two days we were in town to shoot. And then when we pulled out, snow melted, dried up, went away, and went right back up to 78 again. Hmm. And, and that indicated to me that this is important. What we're talking about is important. Our history is important. And understanding the sacrifices that, you know, these great people who've gone before who have pledged to the cause of liberty their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor... Now, that's an example to us. That's, that's a precedent that, that George Washington set as well, as well as a number of other people. And, and we need to emulate that. If we're going to truly call ourselves, you know, Americans and, and live for, you know, what we are, what we've been given, the American exceptionalism that we enjoy, you know, I'm not saying that each one of us is necessarily exceptional, <laughs> but that as a people... We yeah. have an exceptional birthright, well, and you... that our nation is something that we should be willing to defend. It has a great purpose. Yeah, you um, you hit it on the head too. Where it's some will defend it and and uh, leave their legacy, I guess, on a battlefield, and others might just be able to contribute through, you know, discoveries or using their brains to make. The United States exceptional, and and leaving the fortunes. I mean, I, I think of people like the Gates Foundation and Bill Gates, who made a lot of money, but is now trying to change so many lives. And I mean, really, there's so many ways to give back, and we really ought to celebrate all of these Americans. Well, we should we should remember that those are ways we can give back. Yeah. But Memorial Day is specifically for the you know about about. You know, when you read the stories of, of the Revolutionary War, there's boys that are 14 years old mm. that, that gave their lives in defense of the idea of liberty and independence. During the, you know, American War between the states, I will never say it the other way, 
um, you know, there were young men, you know, 15, 16, that were fighting and dying for what they believed in, for the vision they had of the future of our nation. In World War One and World War Two, there's many stories of, you know, young men who, you know, misrepresented their age so they could serve, so they could they could stand up and do what they believed to be right and who gave their lives that our nation might live. And on Memorial Day, that's who we remember. You know, whoever it was, they gave up their future, believing and, and trusting that tomorrow would be better for that sacrifice. I've had the opportunity to walk in the, the American cemeteries at Normandy, Okay, on on you know the far fields yeah. of foreign lands, America's sons lie buried, who went to fight a foe and keep the world free. We didn't go to conquer. There's there's men whose bodies lie deep in the sunless depths of the ocean, who gave everything to keep our nation from having war brought to her shores. That's what we remember on Memorial Day. They're all history, right? It's all stories, and it's... It's all history, and they are. They're important human stories. That's what we should be talking about on Memorial Day, are the stories. Sharing the stories. We should. We should remember those things. I mean, you know, go get... There's lots of men, lots of women, lots of people that have made great sacrifices. But today, for Memorial Day is a day when we remember those that that died in battle yeah. to preserve our nation. That's why the day exists. And and you know, we need to get back to remembering, you know, those stories. We should read about them. We should teach our children about them. You know, and the Shakespeare writes, and this story shall the good man teach his son. You know, till Crispin Crispian, you know, will ne'er be forgotten from this day to the ending of the world that we in it will be remembered. Well, we need to remember our stories. We need to teach them to our children. The rising generation needs to know who we are, where we come from, what America is about, and what's been sacrificed so that they have an opportunity. You've, That'll help them. Oh, yeah. You've taught them. high school. You, oh, yeah. And, and I mean, it's funny. My kids last night were like, Dad, do you think we could win a war against anyone in the country? And they're just curious as to how powerful we are and it as a country. And it seems like they were just begging for stories. They want, they want that history. Talk to us about what you saw in the faces of kids in high school classes when you could tell them the stories and make it applicable. You know, the, the, this is, gives me great hope. When you teach the kids the truth and you read them the stories, their eyes light up and they understand what we're talking about when we say, you know, people have sacrificed for you. And not directly like you specifically, but for you, for your generation, you know, these things have been done. And, you know, I tell the kids, I want you to go and do a story. And I tell them, I want you to do it on, on someone who was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. Hmm. Write a paper on it. Tell me why you think that that was an incredible thing. 
you know, you, you don't have the right to evaluate MOH worthy or not, but you tell me why you think it was incredible. You know, and, and they'd come back and they'd say, like many of the, the you know, young Marines on Iwo Jima who were awarded the MOH because they, you know, dove on a grenade to save their buddies, you know, or charged a machine gun to save their friends. You know, the more you read about this, you figure out that these guys, you know, the truth, justice, the American way, and, and the land of the free and the home of the brave, at, at that point for that individual simply meant, you know, John and Bill who fought to my left and my right, and I'll die for them. But that's America. And when the kids would write about him, they'd say, because he loved his friends and what that represented more than his own life. It really, history is the way to teach so many of these important principles, love, brotherhood, uh, respect. Charity. Charity. Mm-hmm. That, no, it is. And it's almost like some people think, ah, you know, it's too hard to read all those books. But if you forget the history, I guess you're gonna you're doomed to keep repeating the problems, huh? Actually, you know, it, it, it's it's scarier than that. If we forget our history, we lose ourselves. Yeah, we lose our heritage and we lose our birthright. And that's not something that we can afford. It's through history that we learn again our values, and then we can stand with the the generation of the founders, the generation that held the Union together, and the generation that made the world safe for democracy, or the generation we call the greatest generation, which should, should be every succeeding generation of Americans. Yeah. The United States of America is the last best hope for humanity. We are a nation that teaches and preaches liberty, self-reliance, accountability, and responsibility in government. That's almost unknown and unheard of in history. And we are a shining city on a hill. And those that we remember on Memorial Day gave everything for that vision and that value. And we've got to live up to that. Oh, yeah. And one of the best ways as parents and teachers we can do it is to instill those same values in our youth so that liberty and government of the people, by the people, for the people, won't be lost. Because all it takes is us to sit back and, you know, let people with a different way of thinking sound off and and take control of our government, and when we wake up, we'll find that many of our liberties are gone. And once they're gone, they're difficult to get back if we ever get them back. That's right. And then, for us, the sacrifice of those, you know, later, latest generations will have been in vain, and that would be a terrible tragedy. Mm. To lose what so many have built for so long, we can't afford that. No. So let's let Memorial Day be a day we remember the true values of the American nation, liberty, freedom, self-reliance, and accountability and responsibility in government. Beautiful. That's how we repay the debt. Well, Stan, you're the man, still the man. Good Matt, job. You're the man, baby. You're <laughs> preaching a good word there. Well, so are you. And I appreciate what you're doing there again. And, and good, luck with, uh, good luck with your Memorial Day. It sounds like you're going to have a fairly uh, memorable one back there. I think, 
I think we're going to do well. I think we're going to have fun. It'll be tear-filled, but it'll, there'll be good tears. Those are, that's right. The best kind of tears you can have. Stan Ellsworth, uh, again, the host of American Ride. Go check it out on BYUtv.org. One of the great, uh, I think, lessons and, and ways to learn history. What a great point he made about it's how you hand down the values. It's how you do it, folks. If we lose the history we, and we lose those stories, we lose who we are. We lose our identity. So make sure during Memorial Day that you are handing down the stories and the values. You're teaching the principles that make America great. We're going to take a break, come back, do a little coach's corner on this, and uh, maybe give you some ideas, some tools for what you could teach your kids this holiday season. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Hey, we could use some more like me and you. Where the stars and stripes and the eagle fly. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, great interview with Stan Ellsworth um, about the importance of history. And a lot of us, I just, I don't think we get it. As much as, I mean, I don't get it. I, do you know a lot of history? Do you know about American history? Could you sit down this holiday season and talk about some of these great, Moments and stories of of valor and bravery on battlefields. Do you know about that? Because if your kids are asking you questions like mine are, holy cow, it's scary. So we probably need to step up and 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 maybe do a little exercise mentally this weekend. Um, don't just let Memorial Day be the vacation weekend, the beginning of summer. Kids are out of school vacation time. Is there a way that we could just take a little time, tell a story, find two or three stories, go to a graveyard, and go buy some flowers and actually go put them on the, the graves of, of soldiers or somebody that, uh, that served this country? It's, a, it's just an opportunity to teach your kids, your grandkids. We need these stories handed down. So one of the things I suggest that would really help is go find people that are in your family that have been a part of uh, – that have served in the military and go tell their stories. Everybody has somebody somewhere in their family history who's probably been in the military. Go talk about it. If they're alive, go take your kids on Memorial Day and celebrate that person. If you have a neighbor that served in Iraq, take them something. Make an effort to go out of your way to thank somebody in the armed services, in the military. There will be parades. Go look for the parades in your area. But make it a point to actually direct this Memorial Day to the memory of those that have served and given their lives 
and um, and teach your kids and your grandkids. It doesn't mean you still can't go, you know, to the ball game or boating or do whatever you do. But it's powerful, folks. And Memorial Day is it's it's a day I also remember vividly going with my family to the you know to cemeteries, getting all the flowers out, taking care of. Uh, of the sites of of my family members that had passed away and also to hear the stories. I remember sitting in the back of the truck and the uncles talking about those that had gone to war and what had happened and who died where and how that happened. And I remember hearing the stories. And I remember them being handed down. I remember the pictures of an uncle in a Navy uniform. And sadly, I don't even remember him. So then my kids are like, so have you served in the military, Dad? No, no, I haven't. But you had a – I had an uncle that did. Really, where did he serve? No idea. So we want to change this this part of our life and start to actually carry the stories forward. I think Stan made a great point that if we don't bring the stories forward, we are losing the history, but we're also losing ourselves. Then what do the kids think is the key to being an American? If it's not the battlefield and the character, and you see it. When we talk about Iraq, we talk about how many Americans died there, but we also just talk about the ability of an American to stand and fight and fight for what you need to fight for. And Americans seem to have that. But we may not have that if we don't keep the stories and the rights and the privileges clear in our kids' minds. Someday we might lose the willingness to fight for what we believe in. Heaven forbid, can you imagine the day that we no longer understand the price of freedom? So just challenge it, all of us, myself included. We need to do something more this this uh, weekend than just going out and having a great barbecue. Also, it's a great time, I think, to just start traditions and to create some traditions. I mean, if you really – if to make it easy, go find American Ride on BYU or uh, on BYU TV and um, watch a few segments of it. Go watch what happened at Gettysburg. Go watch what happened at Valley Forge and see if you don't feel something. The, the amazing thing about – the country and all of the lives that have been given is there's an incredible spirit to it. There's an incredible peace to it. It's a religious type of experience. So what if we just turn that on? Try that. Monday morning, when you wake up, turn on American Ride. Go find two or three shows. Just start watching it. And you know what? Your kids will gather around. And focus on it. Then talk about it. Use those conversations. Use those stories to put uh, to put some conversations into the minds and the hearts. Ask some questions. Can you imagine going to war at 15? Ask your 15-year-old son that. Can I take my iPhone? No. There's just a lot of great uh, things we've been given and blessed with, and so... I challenge you to to make it a point this year to talk to your kids about it. Also, make it a really important point to connect to those uh, other generations that are older, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. They have so many stories. And go ask them about the war. One of my favorite guests, go look up in our podcast. I did a show with a, a man named Terry Herschel. 
and uh, it, it was phenomenal. A Vietnam vet, and he tells all he does is he tells the stories about Vietnam, and you see, this is a guy that saw the people closest to him dying regularly. He was a medic. And I sit there and I think, wow, he's lived through all of that and is willing to talk and share and is honored, you know, at assemblies. They honored him recently. But nobody knows what that man went through for our country. And he doesn't want to talk about it very much. It was painful. It's hard to go back to. But he will share it if he thinks it'll move the life and the heart of a child. So... Go find those stories, folks. Um, they're out there everywhere. All you got to do is listen to the stories of the, the vets coming home from these wars. They're losing arms. They're losing legs. They're losing their lives. So um, let's make a difference on this Memorial Day. That's the challenge from the Matt Townsend Show. Everybody, let's go do it. Make it better and, and make it a tradition in your family to always honor the great blessings of being an American. We'll take a break. My friends, come back at the top of the hour with more news, more ideas. Again, you're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We have a whole hour up next after this break. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt. And uh, today we got a great show for you. We've been talking about Memorial Day. The many, many things you could be doing for Memorial Day, namely celebrating the lives of those that have uh, already given their lives for us. That's the real purpose of Memorial Day. Then we throw in all the family time and the boating and the barbecues and whatever else you do. But um, let's make it special. And uh, a little bit uh, later today, we're going to be talking to Rod Gustafson of ParentPrevews.com. We have him on every Friday he talks about the latest and greatest movies that are coming out, especially those that are family-appropriate, because some movies just aren't appropriate. Well, he also talks about movies that aren't family-appropriate and gives you why. Yeah, tells you this is one – like he gave one last week that uh, – it's the Mad Max one yes. that he actually really liked, and it's not appropriate for families. But he likes it. It's but a, it, it's a, it, it would be incredible. appropriate for adults. Exactly. Now, there's a movie out this week. What? That we'll talk about that oh. I think from the some, – because sometimes you see the title. Yeah. And if you go by the title alone, you might think, oh, that movie's okay. Yeah. Well, this week it's Poltergeist. Oh, boy. I think you can look at that movie and go, probably not for the seven-year-old. Yeah, no. That was my worst memory ever. But he'll talk about it because it's a remake of the yeah. 1982, and I know those movies are popular with people and – they like uh, they like the scary movie. So we'll have Rod on so. in a minute. But um, before we go there, and then, by the way, of course, the BYU Sports Nation guys, they'll be coming up as well. We'll be talking about a hero, a little hero story for us. But we always like to do the headlines first as he wiggles his paper. You ever you hear those shows of guys would have the newspaper and they'd go... They yeah, shake the newspaper. And That's go, just to news. show that it's real story on real paper. And then they just read you the newspaper. <laughs> now it's different. We just read you the internet. 
That's right. Print it on paper. Well, of course. It's better on paper. I could read it off my phone and we'd be here all day. Boring, yep. An analysis of the Supreme Court decisions dating back to the court's earliest cases in the 1700s found that uh, with time, the Supreme Court has become increasingly accessible, but also increasingly long-winded and grouchy. (laughs) While decisions are easier to read than they used to be, they've ballooned in length. Think 4,000 words for Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, mm-hmm. more than 10 times that for Citizens United in 2010. Wow. And used an increasingly unfriendly vocabulary. And when we look at the language choices of specific justices, the current court lineup in his- is historically unpleasant, at least on paper. Huh. Samuel Alito, Stephen uh, Breyer? Breyer. Breyer. Yep. Uh, Clarence Thomas, Anthony Kennedy, and Antonin Scalia all rank in the top ten of most unfriendliness, unfriendliest decision writers in SCOTUS history. Really? So they're now critiquing the length and the kind of negative the energy. Tone, the yeah. vocabulary. It's really cantankerous, as they call it. The col- their colleagues were either more temperate, Roberts and Ginsburg, or too new to the court to be included in the study hmm. with Kagan and Sotomayor. Not a, there's not enough data. Yeah. To go ahead and brand them as being cantankerous, grouchy. We have a grouchy Supreme Court. Well, yeah. (laughs) They don't seem very happy. They seem like they've got a great job. Yeah, job security is uh, is is one job. You, I they, mean, you have to really make a mistake. Well, yeah, they get booted. But you got to—they're just thinkers. They think it through. Then they—they don't write that stuff. Their staff writes it. Yeah. And they take notes. And- but maybe this, it's just a reflection of the staff writing what the cantankerous yeah. Supreme Court justice is venting about. <laughs> 40,000 words. Holy cow. That's, that's a dissertation. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, do you wash – when you buy new clothes yes. or more likely when your wife purchases clothes well, for you. she buys my clothes for me. Do you yes. wash them? No. Before you wear them? I don't. If you don't – is that bad? You may want to. Yes, even uh, even the packaged ones. Why? It says uh, after you bring them home for the store, you, you're uh, making a gross mistake, according uh, to the Wall Street Journal. Why? Untold numbers of people have touched the item. Ugh. There may be mold and uh. probably chemicals like formaldehyde, and the surprises are even more disgusting, as it says in the article. After hearing about the possible lice, scabies, you may even consider watching, washing your new garments twice. Uh, you don't know where they've been. You just—they look new. They look clean. You just put them on and off you go. But you might want to clean those, wash those. Make you, sure you just <laughs> ruined my day. Wash your clothes. Ah, uh, but they—they they look so nice and clean and pressed. Or don't worry about it. I mean, I shake out the pockets. I don't want like a dead rat in my pocket. Right. I mean, has it hurt you to date? No. No. I've so never had fine. scabies. Don't or, worry about it. Lice. Don't worry about it. David Letterman's final episode of The Late Show was his fourth most viewed show ever since Letterman joined CBS really? in 93. The final drew 13 million viewers, The Late Show's largest audience since 94. February 94 episode ran after the Olympics and drew 15 million viewers. That's amazing. The episode gained 3.1 ra- uh, ratings in the 18 to 49-year-olds. It's best demographic since Oprah was a Late Show guest in 05. That was that was after she finally came on the show, yeah, after he feud. offended her for so many years. Their feud was, his final episode also performed better than all of Wednesday's primetime programming. Uh, what was it? Conan O'Brien? Yeah. He opened his show, and then he looked at his watch, and he said, okay, 
everyone turn over and watch Dave record my show, come back in a few minutes. Did he really? That's cool. And then uh, they waited a second. He goes, all right, nobody's here. And I guess they trashed the set. <laughs> They're like, no one's watching. Did you see that article about how they trashed Letterman's set right after? Yeah, they just tore it down. The next it away. day, they just start tearing it down. And yeah. all the people are watching, like they're carrying out that bridge. Like It's the, in a dumpster behind the Ed Sullivan Theater that's there. That's crazy. Yeah. Chop that bad boy up and make it, sell it for charity. Huh? That's unbelievable. It's just stuff. It's, a, it's about YouTube and preserving the memories on YouTube. Oh, please. After two years of testing, the FAA is preparing to expand the use of new technology called Datacom that allows air traffic controllers and pilots to communicate via text, hmm. speeding up the process of clearing flights for takeoff. They can communicate with the tower uh-huh. via text. They have, there's a little box pre-built into the, the, uh, the console or in the, the cockpit, and they just the, – uh, the idea is – Right now, they'll communicate to the the airplane and say, "Okay, you need to fly at this this height, you know, storms or whatever, any sort of information pre-flight." And you talk yeah. about your setting and all that, and you set that into the computer as to what your flight plan is going to be hmm. cleared through the tower. Well, if there's any changes, then the tower tells the pilot. The pilot confirms that he what he heard. He enters into the com- into the computer and then confirms it again. Oh, so and it's it just, just done it once. Takes forever. This way, the tower types it into their 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 texting machine the datacom they send it to the airplane they confirm they received it it's over in seconds instead I of taking like five cool. to ten minutes it just seems ironic that we're trying to get people to not text yes on the ground but we're fine with them texting getting an airplane it'll ready. they say it'll make it safer more efficient they'll save gas fuel mm-hmm. airline or airplane fuel because they're not sitting there idling as they're That's messing right. with their flight plans it's all set ready to go they're hoping to make everything more efficient and uh, just so you Plus, know, flights run on time at some point. If they could somehow incorporate social media into that process, they, they could tweet could, each other. They could stay up on Facebook. Send each other some cat photos. Yeah. The yeah. co-pilot likes it. Yeah, wouldn't that like be great? Be like, yeah. I like this. This is plan. me That's with good. my kitty in the controls. The uh, datacom will roll out to Houston Hobby, Houston International, Intercontinental. Those are two airports, obviously. Yeah. And Houston, Salt Lake International. Later this summer, those three, and then it'll oh. slowly roll out to the rest of the nation. Well, I don't know that I want it started where I fly. Yeah, let's let uh, somebody else test let's this start system before we else. start jumping on the planes. Hmm. Um, on this one, over the course of three and a half years, yes, researchers have traveled the world in a boat named Terra, oh. gathering genetic information belonging to more than thirty-five thousand plankton species that were largely unknown to humanity. By sampling viruses, microbes, fish larvae, and other microscopic organisms at depths of up to 6,500 feet. Wow. It's a long fishing hook. Yeah. The marine biologists produced the most comprehensive catalog of ocean plankton to date. Uh, What are we doing with that catalog? They're going to study it. Is that like the Sears catalog of plankton? It's a computer file of research. The part Now, on the surface there, well, 6,000 feet below the surface... I'm like plankton, you know. Okay, yeah. great. I'm just—I don't know even why I was reading this. It just kind of was all you know, sciencey. It says a lot about you, educational, and oh, you need to have fun. Where's the cat video? It says the researchers were also able to hone in on the most abundant biological entities in the marine ecosystem: viruses. Really? So our oceans are filled with viruses. They found five thousand new viruses. We can only identify thirty-nine of them. Oh, they bring those back to shore. They did. Great. So now we could have some sort of plague that we have no So we have for. the avian flu, the bird flu. Now we're going to have the fish flu. Could. 
Oh, great. We're not supposed to put animals and names to flus anymore. Oh, aren't we? No. Yeah, well, we're, yeah, the animals are getting mad. We're just going to give it numbers because the H1N1 doesn't sound any more terrifying than bird flu. Or, yeah, that's right. Or the any pig, other kind of pig flu, flu or bovine flu. So, when I found they, that interesting. There well, are 5,000 new viruses. I guess this is good. No, it's not. I mean, it just means that we'll, you know, maybe have a cure for cancer. Maybe. That's that's kind of what they're looking at. Well, is- like we've we've already we've had them on the show about curing cancer with other viruses, right? Right, with the cold virus, herpes virus. They're pump- that's what they're using for the. Uh, oh, what if there's like what if there's melanoma. like fish herpes? There may be furpies. They call furpies. It. <laughs> Scary, sad day. Oh, folks, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, our our great friend Rod Gustafson uh, from ParentPreviews.com will be joining us. He's going to be talking about the movies that are coming out that will be released this weekend and uh, also those released on DVD. Give you something else to do uh, on Memorial Day. Um, you know, there's a lot going on. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So we've talked a lot about what you could be doing on Memorial Day, especially going out and uh, celebrating um, and, and and just remembering the lives of those that have given so much for this country. But another thing you might have some time to do is to go catch a movie with your family. And who better to walk us through the movies that are coming out than Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He uh, is a movie critic, a film critic uh, that specializes in re- reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Rod, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Matt. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here again. The only thing I don't like about being on your show is how quickly the weeks go by. I know. I feel like it was just here. Isn't it fun? It's like it's, But see, that makes it exciting because that means the week's over. Then that we can, is true. Now we can go I watch know. a movie. People like to hear my voice because they usually hear it on Friday. So I guess that's a good thing. (laughs) You've got the perfect Friday voice. So talk to us, uh, Rod. What uh, what movies are coming out or going to be released, uh, I guess, this weekend or recently released? Well, we've got a couple coming up this weekend that fall in the uh, PG-13 and under category. And in fact, let's start with one that's that is actually PG. We don't get many PG hmm. movies, um, especially a live-action PG movie. Often PG movies are usually where we're finding most of the animation these days. This one is from Disney, and it is called Tomorrowland. And uh, an interesting film. It stars George Clooney as the main star in this film. Uh, and uh, I guess, let me start from the top. What I really liked about Tomorrowland is that it has an optimistic view of the future. We have seen so many post-apocalyptic movies in theaters over right. the last couple of years, and and it doesn't matter whether it's you know a, a, a Marvel comic book based movie or like Mad Max, which was out last week. Uh, the the future is a bleak, horrible looking place. Usually, the the Earth has been decimated, and there's a few people running around wearing funny clothes, trying to keep some fragment of society together by shooting one another. 
And Tomorrowland actually takes a very different view of that. And I really enjoyed that part of that aspect of this film. Hmm. Uh, and basically, the movie is kind of a, it's a bit of a, a strange setup. But this girl, this young girl, uh, she's a teenager. She discovers this uh, pin that somebody has given to her that just kind of shows up. She actually she gets arrested for a a minor kind of a little thing that she did. And when they give her back her belongings, this pin is in there. She doesn't know where it comes where it came from. And when she touches it, um, she is suddenly transported into this futuristic world. And as soon as she lets go of the pin, she's back where she is again, which actually creates for some very humorous moments near hmm. the beginning of the movie. And um, But the more that she learns about this futuristic world, it looks so beautiful and so wonderful that she really wants to become a part of it. So she starts into this adventure, and along the way, she meets a guy named Frank, which is, who is played by George Clooney, and uh, and he is not as optimistic about this futuristic world. And of course, that's where we start learning the backstory and everything else. It's a little bit of a complicated movie for uh, pre-teens. It's not so much content concerns as much as is a bit of a non-linear storyline. It jumps around and that type of thing. And I must admit, there's couple of aspects of this story that um, artistically I didn't think were quite glued into place well enough, for lack of a better term, that I'm looking forward to watching the movie again because I'm sure I missed the little clues in it that would have explained to me why certain things were happening, but I didn't pick them up the first time through. And at times in the middle gets a little bit long. There's a couple of times there where you're thinking, okay, what's time to let's get back to the story, let's get things moving. But overall, though, it's an enjoyable watch. Parents, the biggest thing you're going to need to be concerned about is there is some violence in this film, nothing uh, greatly explicit or anything, but the, the violence is our lower, lowest grade. We're giving it a C grade. Uh, and probably, I would say, you know, 10 and under, I'd be careful with this one. This is really a, a film that's more suitable for the teenage crowd, even though it does have the PG rating. So, you know, go on that basis. Uh, fortunately, no sexual content. Uh, there's a few mild profanities in the film, but it's not too overdone. And uh, as I say, the optimistic view of the future is very unusual. I yeah. wish we saw more of that in movies today. It's interesting, isn't it? Because especially um, of all places, Disney, right, should mm -hmm. should have that consistently, it seems like. Um, yeah. And, of course, Disney now has licensed that huge Marvel comic franchise, which means we're, we're getting a lot of movies that are taking place, you know, in futuristic settings and that type of thing. And it's not all of them aren't really, you know, a totally negative. But for the most part, though, there is always this sense of foreboding uh, as to, you know, what the future holds. But there's some serious, intense uh, moments in Tomorrowland. I, I was watching it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. George Clooney was on one of the shows last night. And the clip of the trailer or whatever he showed, it was intense, a shooting, a shootout scene that I'm like, whoa. So, yeah, yeah. maybe uh, the younger kids maybe aren't ready for that, are they? Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up, Matt, because there are on-screen shootings, but they're, they're what we call fantastical shootings in that they aren't with typical guns, but they're yeah. with these laser beam types of things where the people who are shot, they just kind of disintegrate and disappear nicely. So, <laughs> so we don't get the typical, you don't get the blood effect yeah. that you're going to get with a, a They just bullet, get vaporized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that that can be messy too. Even though it seems <laughs> so clean in the movie, <laughs> it's so so true. So, Tomorrowland, you're you're giving it overall a B plus. 
B plus grade on Tomorrowland. Yeah, and again, you know, this is, uh, you know, we we're always reluctant to give real specific ages for you know what's going to be appropriate for your children because you know your children best. But um, but yeah, the the issue of the violence that we talked about. There's there's one scene I should mention as well where a child is suddenly hit by a speeding truck and totally run over. Now, I don't want to give away the movie, but the good news is is the child isn't really even injured. And you'll figure mm. out why when yeah. you watch the movie. But it's very startling when you suddenly see this scene. And for a, a, you know, a six- or a seven-year-old child, I think that that would be a very bothersome moment. So, yeah, parents, be careful with these ones, for sure, even with the PG rating. That's good. Um, what about uh, Poltergeist? Now, I know that's coming out. That was probably the worst movie I've ever seen at a too young of an age. I wish yeah. you were around, Rod, when I was a child. Yes, and you know, I have heard um, other reviewers say that Poltergeist was one of the scariest movies made back in its day. Yeah. That it really kind of set the bar for what a scary movie was. And uh, so, first of all, let me tell you that this Poltergeist is there were times where I was just either nodding off or or chuckling really? at kind of how funny things come across. Now, you got to understand, too, I've got a few more decades behind me of watching movies yeah. than when the original Boulder guys came out. <laughs> and, you, you know, there's the other argument, too, that we have become, just in general as a society, if, if you watch a lot of movies, you know, we get desensitized to this stuff. And we say, oh, we've seen this before. We've seen the squeaky doors and the squeaky floors and, you know, and the major jump scenes and that type of thing. So many times, I think it's getting harder uh, to scare audiences with the usual genre elements of the horror movie. And, uh, and Poltergeist really doesn't, uh, it really doesn't outdo itself or, or go above the bar or anything else. So the story is about this family. They buy a house in suburbia. And it's interesting, Matt. I'm noticing how many movies now are taking place, horror movies, are taking place in suburbia as opposed to the, the big old ramshackle house. Suburbia is the new scary place. Oh, anyhow, they oh, buy wow. a house in suburbia. And uh, and guess what? Like 10 minutes into the movie, weird things start happening. And, and they've got three children, a teenage daughter, and then two younger children, a boy and a girl. Well, the boy and the girl, the younger children, uh, immediately start interacting with these spirits that are in the house. Of course, the teenage girl thinks they're crazy until the night she's left alone. The baby says something. Guess what happens to her? <laughs> and so, and the parents, of course, they figure it out towards the end because they tell their kids, oh, look, you guys, just go to bed. We're tired of hearing this. So it's kind of the typical Tip- setup. Yep. Definitely for young children who do not have the years of desensitization that us adults may have, this is still going to be a scary movie. Um, so don't don't take me take me wrong when I say it isn't scary. Most adults will say oh, I've been there, done that. But for younger kids, this is still going to be very frightening. Uh, no explicit violence in this film. Uh, I don't even know that we even see any blood. But a lot of you know, there's these skeletal type of. Uh, things that are trying to pull this little girl through her closet, kind of like Narnia gone wrong. And um, and so there there are many scary moments in it. But what I did like about this movie, Matt, as opposed to some of the other horror films that we've had, is in this movie, the family pulls together, and there's a sense, there's a sense that 
that they want to get rid of this and they're not going to dwell in it and they're just going to leave the house and move away. Some of these movies really get locked into a lot of satanic sorts of things and yeah. whatnot. And um, this one, not so much. And the other thing that has bothered us, we had a, a movie just a few months ago about some teenagers in a scary house, and a couple of them attempt to make, commit suicide. One of them does. This one doesn't go there at all. So, you know, as, as far as a horror movie goes, it's relatively benign. And so this one will be getting a C grade from us. Our, our review is we're working on it right at this moment. We had a late screening last night, but this one's going to be coming in at a C grade. And, you know, like the usual warnings to parents. It's scary. There's some violent scenes in it, even though there's no blood and that type of thing. Uh, you know, maybe teenagers, but definitely not younger than that. It seems like uh, why would we want to go remake Poltergeist? It's kind of its own thing. You know, yeah, are we yeah. just are, are they grabbing at straw? What's the problem? here? Well, you got to remember that the, the horror movie audience, for the most part, is a young audience. Yeah. And so you take that audience age between, let's say, 13 and, you know, maybe 25, 30 years old, and you got a fresh audience every, every decade, pretty yeah. much. And very few of them are digging through iTunes to go find the original sure. Poltergeist or wherever you can go and see it. So, so this is new material. And many of these movies now, we're, we're living in an age where marketing is more important than art. And so the studios know that they are marketing to a particular age demographic, and they're making it more and more narrow so that they can recycle these ideas more quickly. So, I mean, even in the time I've been reviewing, which is, you know, 20 plus years now, I've seen ideas recycled at least two times and wow. sometimes even three times in that period because it's a narrow enough audience market that they've got fresh eyeballs, and this is all new to them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Try it again. So that, I think that's how it works. That's great. Well, I appreciate your work. Uh, again, parentpreviews.com is the place to go, and it looks like tomorrow lands the choice of the weekend. <laughs> that is the place to go, too. If you're interested in seeing a movie this weekend, Tomorrowland actually is a very good choice. And uh, and I think I think many people will like it. It's got some action adventure to it without going too far over the top. And and I always encourage parents to go on a date with your teenagers. I know, okay, maybe they aren't going That's to like great. that, but bri- bribe them with popcorn and 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 goodies at the theater and go out on a family date. I love that idea too. And 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 then have a conversation. Yes, exactly. And then talk about the movie afterwards. How'd you feel about it? What would you have changed? How would you have written the ending? Those are really good things to talk about and think about as a family after you've seen the movie and can make the experience a lot of fun. You bet. Rod Gustafson, thanks, my friend. Uh, Thank you, Matt. I'm going to Tomorrowland, that's for sure, with my family. Uh, We are going to take a break. There you go. Some great ideas. just go to the website, parentingparentpreviews.com. So many movies that they've reviewed. You can go start even pulling some of them off on video or DVD as well and, uh, and have some insight as to what might work best for your family. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are uh, we're getting ready 
to go talk to the guys at BYU Sports Nation. Before we do that, we have a few more headlines we wanted to review. You know, want to keep you up to date on the news. By the way, it's Goth Day. It's Goth Day. Happy Goth Day, James. Nothing says Goth more than James. So this, Kids are happy. This website says, unleash your inner goth today by wearing white makeup, black lipstick, and lots and lots of black. Yeah. Sounds positive. I've never gotten into the goth look. Yeah. not Nothing against it. Just never quite celebrated. You sound kind of against it. I actually have a cold. Okay. I'm feeling a little goth. <laughs> little whiter face. I'm, I'm feeling down. Darker I'm feeling clothes. You just need some eyeliner and you'd be set. Uh, I've got it in my bag. It's for later. It's for later. I didn't want to dress up for the show. It's radio. (laughs) Any other news? Uh, New York City. Officials are are not happy at federal demands that the city remove Times Square's iconic neon signs. Why? Why why would they want to remove those? That's the key. That's the... The oversized billboards are apparently a violation of a 2012 highway spending bill that places a number of Manhattan streets under regulation of the 1965 Highway Beautification Act. Yeah, I know. It limits the size of the signs along roadways. Okay. Failure to comply with the request will reportedly result in withholding of about $90 million in federal highway funding that, you know you got to rebuild your roads. Broadway and 7th Avenue, which intersect to form the crossroads that is Times Square, mm-hmm. were added to the national highway system when bill this bill in 2012 was signed into law three years ago. See, they were grabbing free money. Yeah. And now they're going to have to pay for it out of their own pocket. It, the bill means that thoroughfares now fall under the Highway Beautification Act, which mandates that all signs uh, within 660 feet of any designated highway cannot be more than 1,200 square feet. Oh, wow. The city is negotiating. Yeah. I don't, I bet, I, I don't think they had Times Square in mind they, when they, they didn't crafted think that, the But bell. I'm going to bet they'll figure it out. Um, yeah. Pretty sure those that signs are That or New York's going to go, come on, man. What are you going to do? Yeah. Come take our signs down? Come on. I dare you. Make us do it. Sure. Thumb their nose at the government. <laughs> uh, another revelation from the archive of Edward Snowden. Ooh. NSA documents indicate that the agency now has the capability to recognize content in phone calls and create rough transcripts for storage and searching. Oh, great. These documents secured by The Intercept, which is the website that Edward Snowden has been working with, show the NSA analysts uh, celebrating the software called Google for Voice almost a decade ago because it made it so much more easier for them. Perfect transcription of phone calls has been called the holy grail in the agency. Elusive may be impossible but incredibly valuable, Hmm. but the software can already extract content from phone calls and flag conversations of interest. So your exact verbiage, they can get that. Mm Mm-hmm. Great. Is that scary to you? Yes, because now they can find me easier. A survey by the London School of Economics. Yes. I know you. I, every day. Subscribe and donate. It's one of the great schools. They suggest that schools that ban phones had students that performed better by a potential level of 6.4%. 6, 6.4% 4, 6. better if you ban schools or uh, ban well, phones at school. Okay. Either way, I schools like or phones at school. 
That's great. Probably the phones. The researchers looked simply at the timing of phone bans being introduced and then compared test scores before and after. They were very clear as to their reasoning. A highly multi-purpose technology such as a mobile phone can have a negative impact on productivity through distraction. Yes. In this study, those students deemed low achieving actually benefited from a cell phone ban by scoring 14% better on their tests. See, okay, this is great. The researchers now we have the evidence. The researchers estimated that the improvement in performance was the equivalent of five additional days of being added to the school year. Wow. Well, that then let's just ban phones. Sure. Try telling my kid that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Out of my cold dead hands, right? That's exactly what he'd yeah. say. There's absolutely no way that's going to work, but doesn't I guess it doesn't it doesn't stretch the imagination to uh, find that that's yeah. accurate. No, that seems very accurate. You take the distraction away, they perform better. Yeah. A figure uh, comes from a Gallup poll released Tuesday in which 32% of Americans said animals deserve the exact same rights as people to be free from harm and exploitation. Well, sure. 32%. They Well, they shouldn't be exploited. So one third or of Amer- harmed. one third of Americans think animals should have the same rights as people. Hmm. Eh? I mean, as long as we can eat them, sure, whatever. <laughs> and I don't want to be rude, but isn't that what we're really getting to? Let's, let's draw the line here. 62% said animals deserve some protection, but could still be used for the benefit of humans. Meanwhile, in a Gallup poll from 2012, only 5% of Americans said they were vegetarians. Hmm. Meaning either a bunch of people aren't sure what they believe, right. or a bunch of people think human rights do not include a protection against being eaten. Well, yeah. you just said. That's right. That's what it's all about. As long as you're not going to mess with my beef, I'm fine with that. Uh, they can have whatever rights they want. We, we got to pay attention. And then as it says, to put a more Orwellian way, the latter explanation essentially amounts to a belief that animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Yeah, no. We'll protect you because we don't eat you. You taste horrible. Pet dog. <laughs> but when it comes to, you know, cows and pigs. And- Interesting. Good to know. Just the news you need to know right there we'll take a break come back with our uh, friends at byu sports nation find out what's coming up on their show today this is the matt townsend show you're listening to us right here on byu radio Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're just here to say hello. Hello, hello, hello. We're going down to Studio B with our good friends down there at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. It's a Friday. It is a Friday. Oh. Hello. And we say hello to you. <laughs> you guys always add so much singing. You, I, We don't ever sing at our we show. We just come in with music and music has a lot of energy and emotion. Legitimately, we have discussed BYU Sports Nation, the musical, as a potential thing. I think you'd be fantastic. Didn't, um, was it Psych did a musical episode? Did I they? Yes, was. they did. Scrubs did one too. Scrubs. Maybe I'm thinking of Scrubs. Maybe it was both. Um, I think, I think Jimmy love. Fallon did a little musical <laughs> part too uh, one time when he was, I don't remember what it was for. But, you know, you're amazing. And you sing. And what are you doing this weekend? Are you, is something, I'm sure, more karaoke, something going on? Jerem's got a big birthday party planned. Jerem. My two-year-old's birthday is Sunday. Really? And, uh, that's a big deal 
I'm so learning. technically she's one in 363 days. Yes. <laughs> to be technical. Yeah. So it's very exciting. In-laws are in town, staying in our house. What, uh, what are we going to do for the birthday? This this is a big one. Number two is one of the biggest that you, yeah. you, she's probably had up to this date. I think there's <laughs> themes. You know, we're do, I think we're doing bubbles. She loves bubbles. Bubbles. <laughs> she counted to 10 for the first time <gasps> yesterday. It's a very exciting this time. This is a life. big time. We just got the patio. We've talked about the mm-hmm. lack of barbecue. We haven't purchased one yet, but we're going to borrow one from a friend in the ward, you know. Yeah. Maybe you could just all go stand out on your slab congregation. of uh, cement and just talk. Yeah. Blow that's bubbles. That's what family outings are, essentially. Hey, um, you, you know what's really great about it? drop some fat beats, you know? <laughs> some, some fat beats. In about, um, by the way, 16, let's say 16 years, no, let's say 14 years from now, your daughter will be able to celebrate Goth Day. Because oh, yeah. today's Goth Day. Mm-hmm. Today is Goth Day. Day. Yeah, clearly. What calendar do you have? Evanescence to, is to like look at these things. <laughs> you like, should have played Evanescence coming in. Seriously, what calendar are you looking at? Um, goth, Goth R Us, <laughs> Goth dot net. No, I mean there's there's like Leprechaun Day, mm-hmm. Goth. By the day, way, tomorrow like a National day. Bacon Day. If, like if you're keeping score, tomorrow's Turtle Day. Where where is this calendar? I want I can't this tell calendar. You. No, I can't tell you. Okay. I actually I actually can't tell you because I don't know. <laughs> that's what my producer does. He just tells me what I need to say. Well, that's that's television radio and pulls the string. Yeah, when's Heard Matt Townsend Day? Yeah. Uh, Matt Townsend Day was May eighth. Okay, that's your birthday, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, happy birthday, <laughs> Gus Gus. Hey Gus Gus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys! I have a little cold going on right now. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it doesn't right? sound like you still sound fabulous. It's because I, you know, they pulled the string. Do you have a backup? No, I don't. So you, like you throw a, the show from yesterday on or something? No, if, yeah. If I if do? I take a bullet, we throw a show from yesterday. Someday we'll have a backup. Yeah. I was hoping it would be you guys, but yeah, then they're can like, I be your backup? I would love you to, but then you've got this other show. I don't want to be your backup. Why? J-Dog. Because it's, it's three hours. It is three. It's three. Three hours. But it, go, it actually feels like four. Oh, man. <laughs> it feels... Like a really fast four. See, when you get sick, you still sound okay. Well, it's, You'll it's, remember two weeks yeah, ago or whatever. Yeah. No. I had you no were voice. gone. You sound That's like right. Doc Rivers. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. You sound like hey, Gus Gus. Um, yeah, I get when I get sick. I but I it's because I. I keep my voice alive. That is that's my moneymaker. See, your moneymaker is your face. True. Are you talking about Jerem or me? Both of you. Okay. Because you're on TV. My moneymakers. My throat. <laughs> Your larynx. <laughs> anyway, hey, um, what are you guys doing for real? So we're having a birthday party. Spencer, are you doing anything? You, Am I doing anything this weekend? It's it's m- the the annual father and son's camp out yeah. tonight. Are you, are you doing it? Are you going to that? No, it's going to be raining. Heck no. And and it's camping. Heck no. yeah, one okay. A, it's camping, camping and two B, it's raining. Raining. C don't have a son. And he's three. Like it. <laughs> Can, he you, has a son. can you have a more nightmarish situation? Oh, those are the best because then you just, they're easily portable. You oh, just... Then it's like, Daddy, can I play Angry Birds in the tent? Yes, son. Okay. That's the I'll... generation that's coming up. Ex- camping will go extinct. Yeah. Camping's gone. We'll eventually go back to camping one day when I, electricity I, I fails. Honestly, like, I enjoy the outdoors. I just don't want to sleep in the outdoors. Do yeah. you th- don't you I like think. I like looking at pictures of the outdoors. Oh, sure. Don't I like think hiking while and I'm on boating Twitter. and all. It's like, look, I like it. I just don't want to sleep in if it. If God wanted us to sleep in the outdoors, do you think he really would have given us homes? 
No. <laughs> this we, is a we, valid point. We watched a Jim Gaffigan bit this morning about this very thing. Really? So that's like everyone used to love camping before they invented <laughs> houses. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, uh, what's you guys still doing your show though, right? So you I didn't think quit that, right? That so we are. What's what's coming up on your show today? The BYU Showstopper. The BYU Showstopper. Okay, and this stems from Stephen Curry, the current mm-hmm. NBA oh, MVP. Every I love time him. the guy steps on the floor, yeah, it seems like he does something ridiculous. Yep. He has a top ten play. He's a very every exciting game. player. Yeah. yeah, he's just a lot of fun to watch. And so, you know, we're thinking who. Who is the most exciting player okay, in BYU sports history? <laughs> I didn't Danny know. Ainge is on the list. I bet he is. Is he the most exciting? Huh. You no, have one Jimmer guy. Fredette. You have one pick. Okay, is it Jimmer? That's what about that's... football players? Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Ty Detmer. Ty Detmer. Steve just, Young. Yeah. Yeah. Jim McMahon. Yes. Yes. We have a really exciting player right now who is the current quarterback. Taysom, yeah, Taysom Hill. Hill. Cosmo. Cosmo. Are you kidding me? Dude, how did they train that cougar to walk on its hind legs? That's a great question. Ask him next time you're there. Okay. I'm sure he'll tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Does he talk? With no. hand gestures. There's a code of mascots. It's, yeah, they can't talk. I don't know what talk. it's called. It's a real thing, though. They don't t- they, I can't talk. Well, you, they can't they, talk until you punch can't. him. Punch him. Just give him one punch to the kidneys and see what he does. Hey, man. Then or they'll talk. And, or try and hey, take man. the mascot head off. Yeah. <laughs> that always starts the mascot fight. <laughs> I don't want to challenge Cosmo. Those no. are some athletic people. He's tough. He's tough. Well, that's a great show. That's a great question. Yeah, we're we're excited about it. We've uh it'll be a spirited conversation. We need it on a Friday after I know. just a it's it's been a long week, don't you think? Yes, yeah, it's been a long week. Baseball had a bad loss. And a gut wrenching loss last night for BYU base. They I were know. up eight nothing in the eighth, seven five, five in the ninth. Sorry, five nothing in the eighth, and then seven five in the ninth, and, and you, lost. I know, and you messed up the whole BYU radio schedule. It really did. This it afternoon. did. I know. People are mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just letting you know. People are mad at you guys. Who's, yeah. Who's, okay. Whose show was during that spot again? Uh, it's like, wait a minute. That's it. That's who's mad. Yeah. Okay. I got Kim yeah. Stilson Powers. Uh, no, I don't want to name names, but just keep looking. <laughs> I like, don't want to throw anybody under the bus. That used to be my showtime. I used to love it because that meant, you know, break. That's a free break. Yeah. But, you know. Sorry we couldn't uh, I'm lazy. push he, that baseball game up earlier to uh, help you out. They don't oh, have any fault. 7 a.m. baseball games. What a ripoff. <laughs> 7 a.m. Can you imagine? Hey, you lost at midnight. You get to turn <laughs> play, around and play, play at 7 a.m. Yeah. 7 to 10. Well, guys, have a great show. You're the Thank best. You. Have a great uh, weekend as well. Enjoy your Memorial Thank Day. And happy you. birthday to J-Dog's little dog. Oh, yeah. Nice. Nicely played. Yep. Yeah, cute. Little Venna. Okay. Oh. I was like, no, I had no idea where you were going there. Thank you, though. No, you bet. Happy birthday to Venna. Is that her name? Venna. That's correct. Like from Venezuela? Uh, she's not, no, but that's correct. <laughs> okay, Vena. thank you. Yep. She's from America. Okay. Uh, <laughs> America. Thanks. thanks, guys. Take care. Cool. Uh, it's it's almost the weekend. Jimmy Crack Corn, what are you doing for the weekend? Um, probably going sh- shooting, I guess. <laughs> going shooting of guns. Guns of guns. Yes. You're going to shoot guns. Uh, that's that's the word on the street. What will you be shooting? I'm not quite sure. So this is a thing that Kaylee's family does every year. Kaylee, the new bride. Yeah, the, my new wife. Your new bride is taking you shooting. Yeah, their family goes out to some remote remote location, ah. and they spend the weekend there just doing different activities, that uh-huh. being one of them. So. Do you want some advice? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go. <laughs> you 
You're Why new to that? the family. Okay. They talk about some supposed tradition where they go shooting guns. Sounds kind of fishy. Very fishy. They're going to be out there all weekend. Long remote enough, location. Remote location. Long enough to bury a hypothetical body. If there are any bodies, mm-hmm. you know. How do we know this tradition has been happening more than once? How do we know? I don't know. I wouldn't go. I, I'm beginning to question everything. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm a professional. Well, good luck to you. Thanks, Matt. If you can't make it Monday, please call in a replacement. Oh, I'll, I'll see what I can do. If you can. Hey, here's a great story to wrap up the show for Memorial Day. Um, what a cool story. A World War II veteran who served in France during the war, has been reunited with his army-issued duffel bag nearly 70 uh, years later. William Kadar, 92, opened a carefully wrapped package Tuesday at his Maryville, Indiana home and found his drab green duffel bag inside, still stenciled in black with his name and a serial number on it. Kadar said the last bag, uh, the last time he saw the bag, he it was in 1944. And it was a month before he was captured by the Germans. He said uh, a letter included in the package said that the bag was being returned by a 16-year-old French boy who found it in his grandfather's house. Kadar's granddaughter, Arlene Haas, said the bag was found and kept by a family in France. And uh, the teen's great-grandparents were killed when their house was bombed by the Germans when his grandfather was 10 years old. So it's just... Super powerful. This kid in France finds this bag. Eventually, they tracked down William uh, Kadar and f- found his name just in the registers of of the military personnel. But uh, this is what uh, was said. It says it's given us a deeper understanding of what he and others have gone through. Said one of Kadar's granddaughters, Amy Parsons. We don't have the perspective in the U.S. as much. Um, it's a miracle that he even came home. By the way, Kadar was captured by the Germans in 1944 and in France, and he lost nearly 80 pounds in a prison camp before he was liter- liberated in 1945. So here's just a tribute to all of the soldiers and everybody that gave their lives for this great country. Remember, it's Memorial Day holiday and weekend, so it's not just a chance to go have a bunch of barbecues, my friends. It's a chance to remember that people have died and served and lived for um, for you to have those great rights that you have. So please uh, go thank one of our veterans or one of our wonderful uh, soldiers or warriors. And, um, and remember, you're very fortunate to have what you have. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back again Monday. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Make it a great weekend.